Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. The King and the Oak by Robert E. Howard. This is first published in Weird Tales, February 1939. Um, this is after uh, Howard's death. And it's a King Cull poem. It's not a story, it's a it's a poem. King Cull is more famous for his stories than he is for his, his poems. <laughs> but we have already done a King Cull story on this podcast. Um, and it was a very philosophical tale. Uh, the Mirrors of Tuzuntun, I think was the name of it. Um, I, I really like uh, Cull because he is, uh, of all Howard's characters, he's the most philosophical, and um, yet he's also uh, a barbarian king, and so you get that, uh, the physical and the mental, and uh, in this story, I, I, I also think of it as kind of like a, a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's a it's about a king having a fight with a tree, um, and then wakes up in the morning and finds that, you know, it turns it, it into an epic poem. But essentially, he had a fight with a tree. And if if you went around telling people, yeah, last night I got drunk and went into the forest and and had a fight with a tree, and when I woke up in the morning, uh, I was the victor. People would laugh at you. Hmm. But he's King Cull, so no one's gonna laugh at him. <clears throat> huh. Okay. I mean, if you think about it, uh, a tree is not much of a monster to fight. Wow. Really? Um, the personification of trees goes way, way back. It does. Um, I certainly know. I remember the first time that I, I went to Muir Woods on the, uh, the peninsula that aims down at um, at San Francisco, Marin County, California. And it happened that I was there in a December and I was traveling on my own. I parked where one is allowed to park and then began walking in. And eventually I, I was there alone. I was there alone, um, surrounded by these enormous redwoods. I mean, just you know, it's if a cathedral gives one a sense of being somehow small and in the presence of categorically different kind of power than the human, then I suddenly had something akin to that cathedral feeling, mm-hmm. although it was in some sense cleaner because a cathedral, I think, creates that that sense of awe. Yeah, it's artificial. But, right, because we know, we just know from our physical experience that granite can't do that. You know, it, it just can't hang in the air that way. But we don't know from our sense of experience that trees can't just go and go, and we just have never seen it before. And it's like, it's the cathedral feeling, but it's it's not man's creation. It's, it is, in fact, nature. And this is a poem, the, the Howard poem is a poem about 
man and nature in conflict in part it seems to me that that it's it's not funny i i, I if Cole told me he had this experience, I would hearken back to that personally. In terms of literary uh, background, though, uh, not for him, given when he lived, but for modern readers, I would think of the Ents in Tolkien. Mm-hmm. These great walking, you know, I mean, clearly Howard is not alone in seeing trees as potentially grasping especially leafless limbs. And we've seen that too. What was that, that story we discussed where the, the trees overgrew the, the, the home in the forest mm. with the, the two sculptors, remember, had, had fought for who would have the higher title? Hmm, that sounds familiar. Uh, mm. Certainly, uh, plant monsters are a real thing. Uh, they, uh, I mean, we started, I, I think it was one of the first, if not the first podcast on this on this series, it was um, an H.G. Wells story about uh, a strange orchid, um, one that uh, I think is called The Flowering of the Strange Orchid. Um, yeah. And uh, the, when I say funny, I mean as in, like, embarrassing. <laughs> ah. right? And I think that that element is minimized, but that's because it's King Cull. It's not some guy getting drunk, going out into the forest, and um, finding to his uh, shame that you know the monster he thought he was fighting was just a uh, a tree branch, right? That you know got in his way, and it's like getting into a fight with a mailbox. <laughs> you know, I, I think I think that uh, that that you're right. One of the signs. Um, of what a good poem this is, technically at least, is that if one had never heard of Cull, one wouldn't have to bring that knowledge that, oh, this is Cull, to make one sense that there's something special about it being Cull. Mm-hmm. The first stanza does not, in, well, let me read the first why stanza. You, why don't you read the whole thing for us, and then and then we can go back to that first stanza, because it's... It's it's not too long, and I think we should go go through it in detail. But uh, for everybody who hasn't heard it previously, I agree, and it, I think it's worth it. Uh, the king and the oak. Before the shadows slew the sun, the kites were soaring free, and Cull rode down the forest road, his red sword at his knee, and winds were whispering round the world. King Cull rides to the sea. The sun died crimson in the sea. The long gray shadows fell. The moon rose like a silver skull that wrought a demon's spell. For in its light, great trees stood up like specters out of hell. In spectral light, the trees stood up, inhuman monsters dim. Cull thought each trunk a living shape, each branch a knotted limb, and strange, unmortal, evil eyes flamed horribly at him. The branches writhed like knotted snakes. They beat against the night, and one great oak with swaying swift, stiff, horrific in his sight, tore up its roots and blocked his way grim in the ghostly light they grappled in the forest way the king and grisly oak its great limbs bent him in their grip but never a word was spoke and futile in his iron hand 
the stabbing dagger broke. And through the tossing monstrous trees there sang a dim refrain fraught deep with twice a million years of evil, hate, and pain. We were the lords ere men had come and shall be lords again. Cull sensed an empire strange and old that bowed to man's advance as kingdoms of the grass blades bow before the marching ants and horror gripped him in the dawn like someone in a trance. He strove with bloody hands against a still and silent tree. As from a nightmare dream he woke, a wind blew down the lee and king and cull of high Atlantis rode silent to the sea. So in that first stanza, Mm -hmm. before the shadows slew the sun, the kites were soaring free. Kites are mythologically significant birds of prey. Um, They are also used uh, mythologically um, for the possibility of resurrecting dead spirits. Uh, this is not unrelated to the the notion of the, the dead king dying for the land and, you know, being killed and then resurrected. Uh, originally, kites performed this function in Egyptian mythology. Um, Isis gets, uh, uh, Osiris is, is dismembered and goes under a, a subterranean stream and comes up, I think, in the Arethusa and his sister uh, Isis gathers the body parts together, puts them in a casket, sends them back to Egypt where he's resurrected and the land is replenished. So there's this cycle of death and rebirth that kites stand for. But the word kite is, in fact, beginning. It alliterates with cull, Mm -hmm. as does king cull. The use of alliteration throughout this poem is, I think, um, dense and useful. So before the shadows slew the sun, the kites were soaring free. Okay. That's interesting because kites are usually, there are many species, sub-varieties, but uh, they're mostly black and white. So uh, that is individual birds are both black and white. So shadows slew the sun. They were bigger than the kites. And Cull rode down the forest road. Cull, not King Cull, rode down the forest road, his red sword at his knee. So he's already killed something that has blood. Um, but he's not using it at the moment. And winds were whispering round the world. You see all that alliteration again. Winds were whispering world. King Cull rides to the sea. So what I was trying to suggest, what I wanted to suggest is that for people who read Howard, and since this is pos- uh, published posthumously, he could have had lots of readers who knew his prior work. Mm-hmm. Um, Indeed, things happen in part because it's King Cull. But the way the poem is written, if you've never heard of Cull before, all of nature is is presented as potent. And yet, as potent as nature is, with this mythological reference to the sun being slain and kites, as potent as nature is, it takes account, it takes notice of what King Cull is doing. So it's not easy to laugh at a guy, you know, where all of nature not only takes notice, but, you know, it's all nature is a little bit concerned, right? It's not going to shout out. Nature is just sort of, oh, gosh, look, 
King Cole rides to the sea. So I think you're right. It's because it's Cole that this isn't just silly. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's 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 mythic, heroic, epic. It is. Um, but the poem makes him be that King Cole, even if we hadn't known him before. Yep. And uh, it's it's uh, the thing is is um, Cole when we first meet him is a king and he's a king uh he's a conqueror he's not he didn't grow up you know the son of a prince uh you know, son of a king and he was the prince and he he's given the job and tutored he took his he wrested control of an empire from someone else this is uh parallel with what happens in conan's stories as well um and again he starts him off as a king but the that that you picked it up and i wasn't sure you would because a lot of people you know if they're coming to this his red sword just might be you know covered in you know a red scabbard but actually he's riding from a battle somebody's dead and call leads his men into battle and you're picking up of the kites um that is you know them the spirits of the dead there's a whole battlefield full of dead enemies that's where he's coming from before the shadow slew the sun, the kites were soaring free. And Cull rode down the forest road, his red sword at his knee. He doesn't have a, a security force with him. He is riding by himself. He is alone. He leads the the war. Not, you know, from, from the back of the hill with his generals. He's there. He's killing people. The next line, the next stanza. The sun died crimson in the sea. And the long gray shadows fell. We're getting that crimson again. This is something that you see in all Robert E. Howard stuff is is the color. And it's he loves red. Um, and then we get in the next line. The moon rose like a silver skull. Well, Cull's name is <laughs> refers right to the fact that he's death and he is the mind within the skull. The moon rose like a silver skull and wrought a demon's spell. For in its light great trees stood up like specters out of hell. So this is a man who just faced a, a an army, rode out victorious, and now he's afraid of the trees? Ridiculous. Right? Then the next stanza, in spectral light the trees stood up, in human monsters dim. Call thought each trunk a living shape, each branch a knotted limb. And in reading other Robert E. Howard uh, stories, knotted limbs, those are knots of muscles as well as knotted branches, right? So you can Absolutely. see this, right? You can see, you know, the trunks are the legs and the are the, the roots are the legs and the trunks are the torsos and the branches are the arms and the leaves above are the head. And they could look like monsters if your head was swimming in a certain way, right? Um, next next line. Cull thought each trunk a living shape and each branch a knotted limb, and strange, unmortal evil eyes flamed horribly at him. Um, this is much harder to explain unless you follow it deeper into the poem and think about deep time. This is something that uh, I don't think a lot of people would attribute to Howard as much as they do to Lovecraft. Howard was very influenced by Deep Time, just like uh, Lovecraft was. He, he thought of it in a different way, but 
the idea that the earth is very old and that civilizations have risen and fallen and often fallen um, and it's always human civilization being the one that falls that the the living earth has continued long before us and will continue long after us that's the first hint that we're getting that in unmortal evil eyes the branches writhe like knotted snakes actually if i may go for it i i to me there are other hints um that is even if one didn't know howard's mythology the 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 use uh, the, the shadows before the shadows slew the sun is the very opening mm-hmm. and the the next stanza begins the sun died crimson in the sea now we can think of the sun setting and so we have red rather than yellow or orange um so we're seeing the sun at the end of a horizon. But in fact, we can also understand that the sun died is what happens when the sun, when shadows slew. So there are things that are more powerful even than the sun. And if the sun stands for the source of human power, if it is the first god in pretty much every mythology, then there's something else. And that word, unmortal, is a, a marvelous neologism. Mm-hmm. It's not immortal. Immortals are things that cannot die. We are mortals. We humans, the gods are immortals. But something that's unmortal is something that's not even in the mortal category. That's right. It's not mortal or immortal. It is It is somehow, it's like something that's amoral. You know, my, my ballpoint pen is amoral. It's not immoral or moral. It's just, it's got nothing to it do with is, right? It just is. Yeah. And that's what these things are. And yet... They are evil, and they flame horribly. Well, so we've got the sun and shadows fighting, like the black and white feathers on a kite, in the very first line. We have that uh, the, the light again coming with the sun dying crimson and shadows in the first line of the second stanza. We have an alternative light, which is the same color as that of a skull with all the flesh having moldered off it forever and that brings us to more light the spectral light of hell the spectral light the street she stood up that's the third stanza begins with light and turns to unmortal eyes so i think we already have in these stanzas mm-hmm. a, a a portrayal no what's the wrong word it, it urges on us a recognition, perhaps subliminal, that there are things that are vaster, not only than humans, they're vaster than the fight between humans and and nature. There's just something else. And from a human standpoint, it's evil. Mm-hmm. And 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 that, you, you're picking up on the light, it continues, right, in the next one. The branches ride like knotted snakes, they beat against the night, and one great oak with swaying stiff, horrific in his sight, tore up its roots and blocked his way, grim in the ghostly light. They, uh, then we continue with um, the actual fight, right? The man fighting a tree. They grappled in the forest way, the king and grisly oak. Its great limbs bent him in their grip, but never a word was spoke, and futile in his iron hand, the stabbing dagger broke. So, He's got an iron hand, 
and the tree, the oak, is the mightiest, the strongest of all trees. And here we've got the king of the forest, right? The king of... He's a, it's a representative of the army that is around him, that he's in this forest full of enemies. And he goes at him with a dagger. They don't have to speak a word. The fight begins. And through the tossing monstrous trees there sang a dim refrain fraught deep with twice a million years of evil, hate, and pain. So two million years, twice a million years. We were the lords, ere man had come and shall be lords again. We're going to win this. Next. Cull sensed an empire, strange and old, that vowed to man's advance. As kingdoms of the grass blades bow before the marching ants and horror gripped him in the dawn like someone in a trance he spends the night in combat with this tree and in in the fight he sense, senses that even though I am call I'm the mightiest man I'm from Atlantis yo I may have taken Velusia but I'm I am did it by my own hand and he senses that ultimately he will lose and humanity will lose. And he wakes. He strove with bloody hands against a still and silent tree. As from a nightmare dream he woke, a wind blew down the lee and call of high Atlantis rode silent to the sea. That silence is thought, right? It's it's brooding, something that uh, Howard characters are famous for, thoughtful, brooding. Um, my question for you, Eric, is: were his hands bloody before he entered the forest? Is it symbolic blood, <laughs> or did he, you know, fight so hard against that tree that he cut himself? Well, I think that if one takes the the notion that you do. That um, that you've, you've offered, that this follows on a battle, a more usual battle, um, then one can say that Cull has bloody hands, whether there is at that moment blood on them or not, as with Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so so he certainly has bloody hands, um, and it is the hands of a conqueror that that he brings to the fight, whether you know. He's just being a sap or not. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Jesse. Um, but, but, but I think he is bloody. And, and one has to wonder whether or not Howard is suggesting that, that especially knowing that he commits suicide, uh, that is the author, um, whether he thinks that, that those who embrace violence are always going to, to be forced to die in an untimely way. I mean, whether or not one has ever read Howard before, one is more is quite likely to know of the legend of Atlantis because mm -hmm. Plato gives it to us and it, it's affected culture everywhere. So uh, Cull of High Atlantis rode silent to the sea. I, yes, he's got bloody hands. And I, I think this notion that he is um, contemplative is very important. I, I love the fact that the same character who is contemplative is also so physically striving. That is what makes um, Cull so potent, I think, as an image. 
But if I may, I, I'd just like to pay attention to the technical excellence of this this, this poem. It is technically excellent. I mean, it, it's 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 fun to read. It's an interesting story, but also he is a master poet. He is. In that that second line, and Cull rode down the forest road. Well, his red sword at his knee. Um, road and road are the same word. Mm-hmm in sound, but they are clearly not the same word in what they mean here. Later, we're told that he's in the forest way. That's where he grapples with the with the 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 king, the, the oak, who is uh, historically, mythologically, the, the representative it's of, of Zeus. It's the king of the gods. Um, so here's one king versus another king. And that's in the forest way. Now, when you ride down something, he, he rode down the messenger and fled with his his booty right to ride something down is to it's like to run something over with a car yep. king cull rode down the forest road could also be king cull was attacking the forest road yep. right by riding it down and the the forest way can be the road through the forest but it could also be this is how forests will resist humans that he fought him in the forest way well once he does that he's bound to lose so that we in fact find him riding again in the last line he rode silent to the sea and i'd like to point something out about the the rhythm and rhyme of this poem that's bringing these pieces together every one of these stanzas has a perfect rhyme at, at the end so it's free knee sea fell spell hell dim limb him right every stanza has perfect rhyme at the end all of the lines are iambic heptameter now da dum da dum da dum iams seven of them the only rhyme word that is repeated from one stanza to the another is the opening one so the first stanza is free knee c and the last stanza is tree lee c now, the word Lee has two meanings um, that are relevant here. One is a Lee is an open meadow. It's grassland. Mm-hmm. And so in the prior stanza, we've seen the grasslands bow before the marching ants. And now a wind is blowing down the Lee. So, you know, one empire is going away. But Lee is also the opposite of the wind. Mm-hmm. There's the windward side and the leeward side in a boat. And boats are relevant here because King, because Cull of High Atlantis rode silent to the sea. Now, with all of this con- concentration of of meanings that produce dynamic oppositions, like the, the shadow over the sun from the very beginning, we have something going on in the rhythm here. Not only is the, the rhyme connecting the first stanza to the last, but throughout the poem, we've had this use of iambic heptameter. And notice that the very last line does not have the required 14 syllables mm-hmm. that you would need to make iambic heptameter. It has 13. And I think that the right way to read this, because, that is the scansion that is urged upon us by the grammar, is to go thus. Uh, he strove with bloody hands against a still and silent tree, as from a nightmare dream he woke a wind blew down the lee, and cull of high Atlantis rode silent to the sea. There is 
a necessary pause of one unspoken syllable between road and silent. If you want to get the, the heptameter that you've had uniformly for the, the previous, you know, entire poem. And so what, what Howard has done for an attentive reader who is reading aloud, he's caused us to pause. He's caused us to make our own silence and cull of high Atlantis road silent to the sea. That is, I think, brilliant. One can talk about many, many poets who are terrific at controlling rhyme and rhythm and getting us in our bodies to reproduce those different sounds. But to get us to reproduce the silences at the exact moment that the key is to talk about silence is, I think, astonishing. And to realize that this silence that we feel but don't see written has to do with an ancient, ancient empire that itself is silent, submerged and gone forever. This must be a good battle between the king and the oak, but nature wins. Yes. Nature wins. I, I, I love that if we see this as like a, a ballad of a king's battle, um, the, that Cull comes away from it not the winner uh, because none can win, but with the realization that none can win, he is a wiser king. Yes, yes. So as long as uh, as long as we can read his stories, we'll know that that uh, despite the silence at the end of this poem, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.